Hello, and welcome to the Cowboy Jesus Podcast. This is Steve Poos Benson, the host of the podcast, and here's what we say on the Cowboy Jesus Podcast, that we ride the rodeo of religion and life. I'm down here again in the church basement of Columbine United Church. I want to thank Columbine United Church for sponsoring this podcast and giving me the time and space to actually do this fun little project that I'm doing. Today, I'm not down here by myself, but I have Rachel Gibson with me. Rachel is is a member of Columbine United Church, but even more importantly, she is of TikTok fame. She has a platform <laughs> that she's very active on, TikTok, and we're going to talk more about TikTok later on in this uh, in this podcast. But Rachel, it is great to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This is my first time on a podcast. You're so. going to have a lot of fun. Your first time, yes. it's, you have a lot of fun. All right, so Rachel, start. Tell us something about who Rachel Rachel Gibson is. Who are okay. you? You know, I have a lot of different identities. I wear a lot of different hats, but I am a mother uh, to two children. I am a nurse in the operating room, and I am a partner to my husband. I have been for 12 years. So. Oh, cool. You've been married for 12 years. Yep. So how long have you been a nurse? I've been a nurse for about 12 years also. Oh, cool. So that sort of cool. coincides. Good. You work in the OR? Yep, in the operating room. Mm-hmm. So you love, love that? that. You, you get into people's guts and do yes. all that kind of good stuff? Yes, I love it. <laughs> exactly, exactly what I do. So. Cool. Well, one of the reasons why I wanted to have uh, Rachel here is that she is in the middle of a fantastic process of deconstruction. When you're mm-hmm. on her TikTok page, you can see the different uh, videos that she's made that's talking about her faith and her faith development, her faith journey, and it's it's fascinating. It's a common theme of some of the other people we've interviewed here on Cowboy Jesus, and I wanted Rachel to talk about her journey because I think when you hear people like Rachel talk about her journey, it gives you permission to engage your journey of faith development. So Rachel, let's go back and tell me about the church that you grew up in, the church as a kid. What was that like? Well, it was a very evangelical church, very fundamentalist, still is, still exists today. Where? What where, What part of town? In, Denver? Uh, Ohio, in southwest Ohio. Ohio. Uh-huh. Yep. And it was charismatic. It was really about, um, it, it had a lot of themes around dominionism. What is dominionism? Dominionism, I'm actually learning a lot about this myself, uh, dominionism is where you are trying to take over, for lack of a better way to say it, the different areas of our culture and usher in the second coming of Christ oh, okay. by having a biblical country, a Christian nation. It's very rooted a lot in Christian nationalism, and that's something I'm realizing now as an adult isn't really the norm for all fundamentalist churches. So. That's been an interesting wow. discovery. Wow. So it was the whole purpose of the church was to create a Christian nation, because if we could do that, we'd bring about the second coming of Christ? It was a big focus, and it still is a very big focus. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Now, charismatic, speaking in tongues? Yep, absolutely. Did you speak in tongues? I did speak in tongues, yes. How old were you when you started speaking in tongues? Really young. I would say <laughs> probably eight or maybe younger. Oh, you're kidding me. No, because it was a lot of pressure to speak in tongues. And if you didn't know, it's very easy to babble in 
nonsensical gibberish language. So and was it was <laughs> it's very that, easy for a child to do? Was that what it was like at uh, speaking in gibberish as a yeah. kid? Would mm-hmm. you just kind of mimic? Yeah, that? you just kind of go for it and you just let it flow. And people thought that you were speaking in tongues as a yeah. kid. Uh huh. Oh yeah. And I didn't do it often. I found it to be a little bit embarrassing, and then I was ashamed that I was embarrassed. So <laughs> it was really healthy. Now, you talk about on one of the TikToks that you were slain in the spirit. What is slain in the spirit? What is that all about? So if you've ever watched any of like the big evangelical televangelists like Benny Hinn. Yeah, you talk about Benny mm-hmm. Hinn. Talk Benny about Hinn that. is how I came to be saved, air quotes. I was watching Benny Hinn in the living room. I was less than eight because we lived in our house that we moved in from when we were eight, when I was eight, sorry, I'm rambling a little, but I was younger than eight and was watching Benny Hinn and he had an altar call and I was afraid to go to hell, you know, as really young child, I was probably four or five huh. when I wow, was saved by Benny, Benny Hinn. Hinn when you're four or five years old? It was just on, old? you know, all the time. Oh my gosh. In the background. Yeah. So. Oh my gosh, you're four or five years old? Yes, I was probably five. You're kidding me, a kindergartner? No. And so I heard the altar call. You know, they'd say in the altar call, you have to do this or you're going to go to hell. So I thought, ooh, I better better do this. So you're watching TV when this is going on? Yeah, it's just on in the living room. And what did you do? How did you accept Jesus? I said, Mom, I need to do this. And I prayed the prayer, you know, they prayed the prayer out loud and say, repeat after, after me, Benny Hinn did, and I did, and that was seen as something that was just wonderful. At five years old? Yes. Unbelievable. Because you go to church, yeah. you're speaking in tongues, and again, mm-hmm. now you're, you're slain in the Spirit. Let me go back to that. What is slain okay, in yeah, the Spirit? Okay, yeah, we got we to talk about that. So my experience when you get slain in the Spirit you go up to the altar, and usually that's because of pressure. You know, everybody around you is going up to the altar to Friends, get prayed on. church members, mm-hmm. other people sitting yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So you go, you know, peer pressure sort of, and then the people to your right are all just falling over, sort of looks like they're passing out and be when they're being prayed over with, like, a hand on their head. Okay, so you just put your hand on your forehead. So like somebody, the pastor Mm -hmm. would come and put their hand on your forehead and say a prayer? Yeah, or sometimes a prophetic word, which I always hated. I never wanted a prophetic word. Some people wanted that. What is a prophetic word? Like Like a prophecy over your life. Like You're going to be a a great nurse or a great mm -hmm. doctor. Yeah, I was supposed to be a politician. (laughs) Someone prophesied. I have it like a written prophecy that someone gave me. Oh, my gosh. And so then they say that, and then they hit you on the forehead, and down you would go. And then I would just fake it, because which (laughs) probably everyone was doing. But at the time, I'm thinking, wow, everyone is being slain in the spirit, and I can't be the only one standing, the lone reed, you know, (laughs) standing. So you just fall into the arms of the usher. You said it's a trust fall. It was like a trust fall, yeah. You just It was kind of relaxing. And then when I would be down there, they put this little um, blanket on your legs for modesty. And <laughs> I would just kind of relax. And I look at it now like, you know, when you do yoga and you do your shavasana at the uh-huh, end. I don't know if uh-huh. you're a yogi. Uh-huh, it am. was like a shavasana, sort of. You just laid there and sort of deep Now, were you breathing. supposed to be unconscious? Is that what... I, I don't know. I think... 
I, when I would lay there, I would just kind of close my eyes and wait till other people started getting up. <laughs> I would get did, up. Did, did you have to talk about your experience? Or did you have to give a testimony about being slain in the spirit? You didn't have to. If we did that, you'd be there a long time because everybody, you know, this long line of people. But There's a long line time, of people are being slain in the spirit. Mm-hmm. How big is this church? It fluctuated, but it's a large building. So the building is mega church sized uh-huh, uh-huh. for sure. So let's say it was like a mega church. And so you would have like hundreds, 15, 20 people being slain in the spirit? Probably at one like time? 50 people. 50 people probably. being slain in the spirit. Minister going down and touching yeah. every single person on the forehead, yeah. and they're falling down. This is a big deal. This is a big orchestrated thing that goes on. Yeah, I know. And looking back on it, it's really strange. Now, did you handle snakes? No, we did not handle snakes, thank God. <laughs> Drink poison? So you're not no, that crazy fundamentalist. No, it wasn't that crazy. Um, we didn't do that, but I I remember what Benny Hen would blow on people, to, and they would fall over, and I think there may have been some blowing from time to time, so <laughs> I just kind of wonder about that now. With I COVID. mean, I shouldn't laugh because this is an authentic religious experience for some people. I mean, it was. was it looking back, do you think it created religious trauma? That in and of itself, no, but I think it, well, maybe. See, that's what I'm kind of working through. I'll say no, and then as I deconstruct something or talk about it more, I think, well, maybe it did. Because it created like an insecurity that I wasn't having this experience and I had to fake it. Uh Whereas everyone else around me was probably also faking it or, you know, feeling wrapped up in the experience and just sort of going with it. So I thought, surely there's something wrong with me. I'm not passing out on my own here, you know. So it brings it breathes a sense of there's something wrong with me. An insecurity, yeah. Even as a young kid going, mm-hmm. there's something wrong with me because I'm not really believing this. I'm kind of faking it. So what's wrong with me when everybody else is having the authentic slain in the spirit? Yes. Okay. Exactly. And I never would cry. I remember everyone would cry. And I thought, can you just muster up a tear here? And it <laughs> never happened for me. Uh, so what was it like going to high school, junior high and high school? So I went to a Christian school till I was in the 11th grade, and uh-huh. I transferred to public school. So very fundamental, non-denominational Christian schools, Christian schooling. So we talked a lot. We had Bible class. We memorized Bible verses. In Spanish class, we memorized Bible verses in Spanish. Oh, my. So... What about science? What were you taught in science? We weren't taught about evolution at mm-hmm. all. Uh, when I became, when I went into 11th grade, I knew nothing about evolution, only creationism. So I really felt a little behind the eight ball there. Uh-huh. And still, as an adult, I think, well, I really need to learn about that at some point a little bit more. I know about the Big Bang Theory, that it's a theory, or that it's what's pretty accepted in terms of how the earth came to be, and I believe that myself, but I never delved into it as deeply as others probably have through their schooling. Wow. Let's talk about the purity culture and being in high school. What is the purity culture? So purity culture is and was huge. And it basically, in my opinion, if you talk about, you know, sexualizing kids, purity culture takes girls, young girls and teens, and it makes everything about your virginity. You are your virginity. So that was everything. And in high school, in Bible class, I remember we had, we learned about it and we were taught that it was, this is so weird. 
the biological hand grenade ladder is what it was called. I don't understand why. I just why. took you as scants. The biological hand, hand grenade, grenade ladder. ladder. Unpack that. What is that? I still am trying to unpack that. So there's rungs of the ladder. And in, like, you know, in secular terms, that would be, you know, first base, second base, oh, third okay. base, okay. perhaps. Okay. But you were never really told what each rung meant because it was different for every person. And you didn't want to climb too high on the ladder because then you wouldn't be able to stop climbing the ladder and then you would essentially lose your virginity and I guess what the hand grenade would go off I'm still not clear <laughs> on the hand grenade part. Oh God, what a violent image to give to kids so violent and extreme so you know we were left to think like well what's wrong number three like what do, well, so they what never told you what the different rungs were whether no. it was you know uh Kissing French kissing or handholding or hand touching, yeah. or touching. You just it was left to your imagination. Yeah. You didn't know what the different rungs of the ladder were. They said maybe for you it's like the third rung is heavy petting, or maybe they kind of gave vague terms, I remember, but you were kind of left wondering, like, what am I allowed to do? And what's okay and what's not okay? And you really had no idea. And you were really never prepared. Something I'm very passionate about now when it comes to this is young girls, teens, young women were never prepared for sexual situations. So if you were in a situation, you didn't have anything to be safe. You didn't really know what you were supposed to do to be safe. So you were just set up for failure because you weren't supposed to be in that situation to begin with. So how did they, uh, going back to the purity culture, kind of some of the conversation I've had with other people as far Mm -hmm. as like you had to take – I don't know if it's virginity vows or something where you're married to Jesus or mm-hmm. you're only married to God. And yep. t- talk to we me did about that. that. I did that. Uh, that was a ceremony. And it's funny that you mention it because a friend of mine who grew up in, we grew up in the same church, said to me, don't you remember the ceremony? And I said, no, I don't remember the ceremony at all. She's like, oh, yeah, we walked down the aisle with our dads. <laughs> you walked so down an weird. aisle with your dad? And then they gave you the ring. I don't remember it. I think I just blacked it out. They gave you the ring, and I had the ring. You know, you wore the ring, and that was your pledge, and you took an oath. and A pledge and oath to be a virgin, a mm-hmm. pledge and an till oath. Till marriage, yeah. Till marriage. Mm-hmm. And so you took an oath. You have your dad there, and your dad is blessing this whole thing. I'm sure that's why I blacked it out, because that sounds so cringy when I just think about it. Like, wow. your dad? Wow. So... What about boys? What did they do for boys? Did boys have to take a purity pledge? They kind of had to say the pledge, but there was no ceremony that I recall. But I don't recall one for girls either. So This is just for girls. Mm-hmm. This is a heavy thing for girls. What does that do to a teenager's sense of, of being a sexual person, a sexual identity? What does it do to them? It attempts to repress you know, any kind of sexual identity, but as we all know, that's unrealistic. So it just creates shame around any kind of sexual feeling or any or being a sexual being being at all. It just creates a lot of shame. And I also really feel like it props up, you know, rape culture because if you climb so high on the ladder with some other person and they they couldn't you were taught that they couldn't stop. So it kind of props up that whole culture of, well, it's my fault because I allowed us to climb the ladder this high you know so it's your it's your fault that's what you're they don't say that outright but that's what it feels like when you're if you're in a situation and you were taught that if 
you climb that high, there's no going back. It's like, so, well, that was my fault. And so it's not the the boys' fault or the men's fault because they can't control their their urges. And right. so it's your responsibility to control mm-hmm. a boy's urges. Yeah. And then if you can't and you get raped, oh, well, that's yeah. your fault. That's really the message that I'm hearing loud and clear. I mean... You think, is the purity culture still alive and well in the evangelical church? I think so. I don't know that they, because I've been so far removed from it since I was a, since I was 18, probably. So I think so, but I couldn't tell you if they still do ceremonies. Mm-hmm. But I 100% know they're still teaching, you know, no sex till marriage. Well, okay. One of the things you talk about in, in on TikTok, one of your, uh, one of your videos is that you wonder if you were raised in a cult. Talk about that. Do you feel like your church was a cult? The more this has been a recent discovery that I felt like my church is cult like or was cult like because I didn't realize that this this Christian nationalism focus wasn't the way all fundamental Christian churches are. I thought that that was fundamental Christianity it was a big focus on you know, who you vote for and making sure you're voting for godly officials that are going to, you know, ban abortion or be against abortion. I thought that was just normal. And all the talk about spiritual warfare and all that I thought was just what all fundamental evangelical churches believed. And I guess it's not. I'm really recently learning this, that it's not accepted widely. So now knowing that I was in this sort of niche cult-like group, that's been something I've just recently been uncovering. So I do feel like it was cult-like, and I do feel like my family members who are still in it are the victims of this this type of rhetoric, So, which makes it easier for me to be understanding when I kind of look at it that way. Do you, is there a, a charismatic leader of this, of this church that is like the the guy, I'm assuming he's a guy, a male, yes. and he's really uber charismatic, and mm-hmm. he's the one who's kind of setting the agenda for the church? Yes, the same. It's been the same pastor since I was born. So Still oh the gosh, same pastor. Oh my gosh, so kind of like me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he, yes, he's setting the tone, and he often, I would say almost every service has prophetic words, huh. and it sounds like almost like he's reading from the Bible, but it's not. It's his own words. So it's his own very, imagination. It's yes. his own craziness. And very mystic, you know, angels and seraphim and the spiritual warfare. And he said the vision of the angels at the White House and battling and just really out there stuff. And he's got a whole congregation of people who are laughing this stuff up, who mm-hmm. are really digging it. I mean, mm-hmm. they are buying it hook, line, and sinker. Yes. And we're talking about hundreds of people. Yes, and this is a small fry church in this movement. So so the whole dominion movement, mm-hmm. spiritual warfare mm-hmm. is a larger movement within the churches of the United States, within the yeah. evangelical churches mm-hmm. of the United States. Yes, and it has a name though. This the name it has is not what those in it call themselves. It's what those outside looking in call it um the New Apostolic Reformation. So the that's, New Apostolic Reformation. That's a yes. new word for me, a yeah. new title. NAR okay. is the NAR. abbreviation. So that's something really when you 
that's a rabbit hole for sure when you okay. start looking into that and then that's realizing, definitely something Whoo! we're going to look for on this podcast a new yeah. apostolic reformation so that's the mm-hmm. name of a sect within evangelicalism of mm-hmm. churches that are involved in the new apostolic reformation mm-hmm. wow okay yeah. so how did you get yourself out of this cult i feel very fortunate in a lot of ways in that i never I, I was saying how I always felt like I was faking it when I was getting slain in the spirit and that sort of thing. I never felt like I was fully bought in. And there were times in my life where that kind of ebbed and flowed, where, you know, you go to church camp and you get all jazzed up for Jesus and hyped up. Uh, but I just never really felt this strong, strong connection. I always felt like I don't want to make my whole life about this. Uh-huh. I don't, I'm too selfish, really, I would think. And that was sort of a shameful thing. I don't want, they had the acronym joy, Jesus, than others, than you. (laughs) And it was a song too, but I won't sing it. And I thought, I don't, I'm selfish because I don't want to live like that. And I just, I didn't. So Thank goodness you had a self-preservation type of awareness around you that said, Mm -hmm. I don't want to get completely sucked into whatever it is that's going on around me in this church. I did not want to get sucked in. So talk more, talk more. So when I became a teenager, I really started seeing ugly sides of, you know, girls weren't allowed to wear spaghetti strap t-shirts. Like, what's my shoulder going to do? You know, things like that, that I just felt, you know, as your angsty teenager self comes out, Mm -hmm. like, no, I don't like this. And so my parents actually, I feel, were more progressive in their parenting, whether they realize it or not. They never pushed us to go to Christian college. They always pushed us to go to college. They, When we became teens, they wouldn't force us to go to church. It was up to us. So and good for your parents. Yeah, yeah, I agree and I'm very thankful for that. So I went to a big public state college and, you know, I did my thing. I partied, drank alcohol and, you know, had fun. Woo-hoo. And I, you know, I was a partier. And so I just wanted to do my thing. I wanted to get out there in the world and see things and learn things and party and have fun. So I just sort of felt like, oh, I'm just kind of backslidden for now, and maybe I'll, I'll, I kind of put my faith on a shelf, uh-huh. and thought, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm sinning a lot right now, but you know, <laughs> God still loves me, and maybe one day we'll look at that again, take that off the shelf, dust it off, <laughs> and see, see what you know I feel about it. So, it wasn't until graduate school that I really, you know, got my faith back off the shelf. Oh, really? In <laughs> yeah. graduate school? In graduate school. You're studying to be a nurse? Yes, I was studying to be a nurse. And you got your, you decided to re-engage your Christian faith? Sort of. So uh, the way it all went down was... How old are you? In, right in, now or in, no, in graduate grad school. school? I was pretty young. I was um, like 22, maybe. 22, yeah, I was all young, right. early okay. 20s. Okay. So I went to grad school pretty much almost right out of undergrad. Uh-huh. So I got a job at the Multicultural Center, which how I got the job, because I'm like a cis, het, white girl, (laughs) I I got the girl part, you know, woman part. Um, I don't know how I got the job, but I did. So I'm so thankful for that. So thankful for that job. I learned so much. So the Multicultural Center housed LGBTQ plus student services. It was within the Multicultural Center. And I worked on the social justice side of things. 
And so there was a lot of intersection there with LGBTQ student services. And at that time, I had to start really thinking, oh, do I think this is a sin? What do I think about this, you know, being gay, being trans? And so at first in my head, I thought, well, I think it's a sin, but I sin. I'm a, you know, I'm a partier and I'm a sinner and I do things that are sin- sins. And so I still love gay people. I still love the community, but, you know, we're all sinning here. So I kind of took on the love the sinner, hate the sin at first in my head. And I hate, oh yeah, I hate that. I hate that phrase. So at first that's where I thought I was, you know, and then I got to know people. I built relationships with gay people and trans people and people in the LGBTQ community. And you, when you do that, it just naturally, you start thinking, this is not the same thing as me binge drinking on a Friday night. This is their life. This is their livelihood. This is who they are. How is who they are a sin? This were isn't you a choice. It, were you taught it as a, that it's a sin in high school? That, yeah. That gay people were sinners. They were an yes. abomination to God. Yes. You can't feel this way. You can't be this Mm-mm. way. If you happen to be gay, we were going to pray the gay away Absolutely. from you, that it mm-hmm. was not uh, a part of the New Apostolic Reformation movement. No, no, and uh, not at all. So being gay was a hard no, sin. Mm-hmm. And that's a big part of the movement now. They're very involved in that um, side of things, unfortunately. Legislation. Anti-gay. Mm-hmm. Your church anti-gay, is anti-trans. anti-trans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you start exploring that, building relationships with gay people, trans people, et cetera, you start to realize that it's actually quite hateful to think that their entire being is wrong. Mm -hmm. So that's what led me down the path of deconstruction. And I started looking into, well, is it really a sin? What does the Bible really say? And started digging into that a little bit more and thought, huh. There are a lot of really smart people that don't even believe the Bible says this. Mm -hmm. Like, this is amazing. You know, it was so eye-opening for me. And that's what brought me on the journey. That's what started me on the journey was the LGBTQ plus community. I have them to thank because that's what got it all started for me and what got me into progressive Christianity and learning about progressive Christianity and what that is and what that means. So so before we go to progressive Christianity, let's talk about the journey. Yeah. Um, so you use that phrase, uh, kind of a contemporary phrase right now is deconstruction. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the journey mm-hmm. and deconstruction and what did that what's what did that look like for you? It was a slow progressive process. I would say Throughout grad school, I realized that there are Christians who don't believe it's a sin to be gay. And that was amazing to me. And I thought, well, one day if I want to get into church again, you know, I'm going to look into this. I'm going to see what this is about. And then it wasn't until I moved out of state and started kind of looking into churches in the area. There's a website called Mm gaychurch.org, and that is how I would find churches and go to churches and sit and I visited lots of churches mm-hmm. around here, and that's how I kind of started the journey of you know finding a progressive church. And when I moved here, I also 
At some point, I also read a book called Post-Traumatic Church Syndrome. Mm. It was written by someone that actually grew up in my same church for part of her life, actually. Oh, wow. Uh huh. And we had a lot of commonalities. She's a little bit older than I was, so we we were never friends growing up. But I read her book and thought that was really interesting. What's the name of the book for people who are listening? Want to yeah, know sure. About it? It's called Post Traumatic Church Syndrome, and, and it's you, by Reba Riley. Reba Riley. Yes. You can get it on, on Amazon. Yes, you okay. can. Yep. Good. I would say it's a very surface level for you, those of you, if you're just scratching the surface, that's a really good book to start. It's it's fairly light. It's It does get into deep topics, but. It's a really good book for someone starting out. For starting the journey away mm-hmm. from the evangelical, mm-hmm. apostolic reform, mm-hmm. whatever. Yep. That this is a good good place to start. Yeah. Yeah. And she explores different faiths, which I thought was really fascinating and really interesting to me. Not just Christian faiths, other faiths, you know, th- world faiths. And so I read her book and I started looking and visiting churches and which was really interesting because the church that I grew up in was not liturgical. I can never say that right. Liturgical. Is that right? Literal? Liturgical. Liturgy? Liturgy. How do you say that? Liturgical. Liturgical. See, I can't say it because we didn't have liturgy, you know, in charismatic evangelical church. So, so it was brand new for you to yeah, do so like a call to worship, a prayer of confession. and very hymns. structured. Wow. And I didn't really connect with it because I didn't grow up with that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I didn't grow up with hymns. We sang, this, you know, the really upbeat contemporary songs. And so I struggled a little bit because a lot of progressive churches are more... Liturgical. Yes, thank you so much. So I I had a hard time feeling a connection in the new world I was experiencing because everywhere was liturgical and I wasn't used to it. And so that's part of what brought me here because there's, a you know, the contemporary service. Here's Columbine mm-hmm. United Church. Yeah, yeah. What were the questions that you were wrestling with in your deconstruction process? Um, questions I was wrestling with and still wrestle with are, is Christianity... Well, the misogynistic sort of patriarchal side of Christianity, mm-hmm. you know, that's in the Bible. So I still wrestle with that. Why is that there? How I do not connect with that. What are the parts of my faith I do connect with? And, you know, just you were talking about on Sunday, you know, the side, the fundamental side of things where God sent his son to die and that whole story and how really awful that is when you think about it. So when I think about some of the negative, awful narratives in Christianity, sometimes I'm think, do I really want to be a Christian? Uh-huh. <laughs> so so a deconstruction is actually the process of taking what you mm-hmm. were raised with, the things that you believed in, and yep. literally taking it apart, yep. deconstructing it, mm-hmm. looking at God, looking at Christ, mm-hmm. looking at the Holy Spirit, looking yep. at the church looking at all these things and and slowly questioning them, mm-hmm. taking it apart bit by bit, literally yes. deconstructing yep. what it is that you believe. Exactly. And then you do go through the process of reconstruction. Is yeah. there a time in between where you're like, I have no idea what I believe in or who I am? Yeah. Where, yeah. where are you? I'd say the it's sort of almost like a pendulum, you know. You swing towards 
and a lot of people swing towards anger and frustration and the pain that their religious trauma has caused them, they may not swing back towards a progressive faith. They may stay in that space and decide they want to be atheist or agnostic, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's a journey that many people take. And I think for me, the pendulum is swinging back towards progressive Christianity and connecting with all the positive, beautiful things about faith, my faith, and Jesus. And that is kind of where I'm at. I'm swinging back towards finding a connection with Jesus and Christianity that can be beautiful and wonderful and fulfilling and life-giving. So you are swinging back Mm -hmm. to reconstructing your faith. Yeah. So let's talk about TikTok. Okay. Because it's a um, it's a it's a fun, mm-hmm. fascinating, but a very serious platform. You talk mm-hmm. about very serious things. I mean, yeah. I love it that you're you're on your bed, kind of on your side. You're yeah. holding your phone up and you're talking, or you're driving in your car. Casual. What do you What are you trying to accomplish on TikTok? For me, TikTok has been just therapeutic because you can connect with so many other people deconstructing. There are so many creators in this realm of deconstructing Christianity. If you look up that hashtag on TikTok, there's so many creators and so many people that went through similar experiences. And to just be part of that community, it's therapeutic. And to just talk about it, talk about this happened. And looking back on it, that was wild. And so just do you give yourself the permission to say that yeah. was wild? That was crazy. Yeah. I can't believe mm-hmm. we actually did that as yeah. a kid or as uh-huh. a young adult. Exactly. And then hearing other people on TikTok agree with you. You have mm-hmm. a lot of you have a lot of followers. You have a lot of people who watch your TikToks yeah. who agree with you, and then they hook up with other people on TikTok. Yeah. So there's a huge community of yes. because what is your uh, name on TikTok for people? My name on TikTok is Rach Nurse Mom. And my kind of tagline is exvangelic. Okay, so I want people to get that. At Rach Nurse Mom. At Rach Nurse Mom. So because yep. I, I want people to get on TikTok. It's yeah. it's not just for kids, you know, no. making videos, but it's there's some very serious things that mm-hmm. are on TikTok. Yeah, a lot. What do you uh, what is your message that you're trying to get across on TikTok? I think I just want other people to feel less alone and to feel connected to a community that before I knew about progressive Christianity or that there were Christians that thought it was okay to be gay, I just, I didn't know it. And knowing it was so eye-opening for me and so life-giving for me to to understand that there were others out there and you don't have to let go of your faith if you don't want to. If you want to keep your Christianity and hold on to that, you can, but you don't have to keep all of these other parts that were unhealthy and not okay. Like the whole um, dominion and mm-hmm. misogynist mm-hmm. and anti-social justice, yes. anti-gay, anti-abortion, yep. anti-woman's rights. Yep. Wow, anti, you know, Black Lives Matter, yep. people of color, r- racial justice, mm-hmm. that it's okay to start questioning those things and yeah. getting rid of them. Yes, absolutely. And one documentary I want to recommend to anybody who's interested in exploring the history of the LGBTQ community and the Bible is it's called 1946. I don't know if you're familiar huh? with no, it, I'm not but I wanted to shout that out. It's called 1946 and it is 
breaks down the whole history of how the word homosexuality got in the Bible in the first place and how mm-hmm. the those who decided it should be there shortly thereafter decided, actually, no, we probably shouldn't have used that word, but it was too late. And it's fascinating. So wow. that's just another side wow. note. And what is the name of the movie again? 1946. 1946. Mm-hmm. The cool. documentary. What would you recommend to young people who are beginning the process of deconstruction? Young people meaning post high school, college, maybe, but I also know people who are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s who are mm-hmm. beginning to deconstruct. What What would you recommend to people who are wanting to begin this journey? They know lo- they know they can no longer believe what they used to believe, but they don't know where to go. What would you recommend for them to do? I personally have found a lot of value in social media. I know it's controversial, but I found a lot of community in TikTok and watching other people's videos about deconstruction and Facebook as well. I found Facebook groups. um, One's called Raising Kids Raising Children Unfundamentalist. Uh That's an excellent group that I feel like I've found other, you know, parents who can connect. Oh, I was raised this way and now my child is exhibiting this behavior and I'm having this reaction. But I know it's because of my my traumatic upbringing and other people rallying around and saying, yes, I felt this way too. And this is what we did. And these are the books we read and these are the resources that we have and just a community and just to find your people. You know, I, I'm a real um, advocate of social media. While there's always a shadow side of it, I Mm -hmm. think that what can happen on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok that these are marvelous platforms to mm-hmm. help you kind of broaden your horizon and hook up with, with other people yeah. beyond just your local geography, even just your local church. Right. Bigger, it's bigger. It's much more of a national and global outreach as you mm-hmm. can reach out to people going through similar things that you are. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So that's what's helped me. Well, Rachel, it has been great to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much. Again, give people your handle for TikTok. Okay, got to remember it myself. At Rach Nurse Mom. At Rach Nurse Mom. Yep. And you're going to laugh. You're going to love your way <laughs> into the marvelous ways that you talk about some really serious stuff. Yeah. But it's a lot of fun. It is. Rachel, thank you for joining me today on the Cowboy Jesus Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been fun.